If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. And this week, my guest is Preston Beckman. Actually, this week and next week, because we sat down and had a nice hour-long chat, which I'm going to break up into two parts. Now, the name may sound familiar if you are a uh, steady listener of this podcast, because I've had him on a couple of times before. Uh, Preston Beckman is a media consultant, and he's a chairman of the Beckman Group. And for 20 years, he was at NBC during the must-see TV era, also spent 15 years at Fox, and you may know him on Twitter as The Masked Scheduler. And we always bring him on the podcast to talk about the current state of the industry. And it's amazing because from year to year, it changes and it changes significantly and over the last few months we have seen all kinds of sea changes including the uh the crash of netflix no comedies being purchased by cbs uh it's been a bloodbath for tv comedies and so i thought well let's get preston beckman back and let's talk about all of this so over the course of the next two episodes we are going to discuss the state of broadcast networks that crash of netflix the future of streaming tv dramas the lack of comedy we'll talk about commercials programming strategies pilots even sports on tv and on the streaming platforms so a lot to get to it's a fascinating discussion and I've been in the industry an awful long time and there were a couple of points that he brings up during the conversation that I didn't even know so that's this week and next week Preston Beckman right here on Hollywood and Levine well first of all Preston it must be nice to be able to sit on the sidelines <laughs> and watch all of this stuff go by and not have to be in the middle of it cuz man it seems like it's a mess these days. It's a very different uh world from the one that I left even even 5 6 years ago. Uh much more confusing, uh different ecosystem. The networks play a significantly different role in it, but I don't think they're done. They just have a different, uh, a different purpose today. And yes, I'm very happy not to be 
involved. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. I noticed that a lot of shows, uh, especially uh, from Fox, a lot of shows that were doing well in the ratings still were on the bubble because of license fees and that the network was even willing to walk away from a hit show, which is their very rare commodities these days. They were able to say, okay, we'll play hardball because we just can't afford it. And uh, this is something that's that's really new. And it seems like it's happening all the time now. Well, when when the Fox-Disney deal happened and they separated the studio from the network, suddenly the dynamics changed. Uh, when I was at Fox and Fox Studio and the network were part of the same entity, mm-hmm. um, it almost didn't matter if the broadcasting, or Fox Broadcasting made a profit off of shows like The Simpsons, like 24, because there are other ways that the corporation was profiting from those shows. So really, at that point, it just became a little bit of a dick-wagging, to be honest, thing between the studio execs and the network execs, where it was the network, the studio execs would be basically saying, how much can we suck out of the broadcast networks? And to be honest, they didn't believe us when we told them how much money we were losing on shows like The Simpsons and Family Guy and and, and 24, um, until they suddenly were running both the studio and the network, and then suddenly it was like, oh, oh, my God. (laughs) How much money they're losing on those shows. Like, we were lying to them. So uh, now, once... um, the, the the Fox studio uh, was removed from the broadcast network. I remember talking to friends over there, and I was saying at some point, knowing the cast of characters over at Disney who mm-hmm. came there from Fox, that at some point, how are you going to sustain these shows on your schedule? Because when you lose money now, you lose money, and somebody else who's making money off of these shows isn't part of your corporation anymore. Right. And that's kind of what's happening which is they're they're acting uh, the, the Disney is acting in the same way that Fox Studio acted when FBC and the studio were under the same uh, company. So it's uh, it's rough. So how does a network like Fox that does not own a production arm, how do they exist compared to the other three networks? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I think. A lot of it has to do with unscripted. I do believe they have a uh, a studio set up for unscripted programming like uh, The Masked Singer. And, and even so- that went down to the wire to get renewed. Yeah, well, some of that, some of that's um, just the good. It's different than the nine one ones and the residents. Um, you know, it was it was going to happen. Uh, so they're doing more and more of their uh, more and more unscripted. Uh, they have a an animation studio, so they're doing more. They're going to do more animation because at some point Disney is going to take The Simpsons and uh, Family Guy away from them. 
Right. So, I'm surprised you know, they haven't already. I know. I know. And, you know, so, uh, and they, and I remember when Charlie Collier started, I had lunch with him and, and I said, you know, you've got, you've got to create a studio. You've got, you've got to find somebody who's going to create programming, you know, scripted programming for you because at some point um disney's gonna screw you over and that's what's happening <laughs> and boy couldn't you see that from 50 miles away you know uh <laughs> we have a president who believes in bipartisanship so you know these people are kind of naive sometimes <laughs> I, uh, charlie's a bright guy i mean i think that they probably i have to assume there was some agreement between disney and fox at the beginning about how they were going to supply FBC with programming and not make it completely impossible at the beginning. Okay. Well, and I see a show like Call Me Cat mm. got picked up for a third season. Yeah. And and you just wonder, well, then what is the yardstick? Because that certainly is not a critical darling, and it certainly did not get great ratings i'm sure in the past fox has canceled comedies that did well well above uh, call me cat so how does that happen well um there's a couple of things and i know we i we've we've talked on a few occasions uh, so i hope i'm not repeating myself with no this. that's okay we have but, new listeners okay which <laughs> new to them but uh <laughs> You know, one of the things about the business is, and one of the reasons why I think um, as much as people talk about all the choices that the viewer has, one of the reasons why I think the ratings continue to dwindle at the broadcast networks is because once you go beyond about two hours of new programming on your fall schedule or, you know, to start the season, you're generally in a position where you're going to lose audience rather than gain audience. You know, the philosophy among creative executives is we can do better. Well, they can't. So it, I, I actually quantified this. I was always big sort of rating cybermetrics person. And I had asked, uh, when I was at NBC, I had asked our research department, how many hours of new programming can you put on before you start losing and losing ratings by adding more? And there's a lot of reasons why. And it was two and a half. So two and a half over a week hour, schedule two and a half hours. In other words, once you start adding your third hour of new programming to a full schedule, the odds start increasing that your average rating is going to go down from the prior year. Interesting. So, yeah. And it's for a couple of reasons. One is, you know, um, a executives aren't as good as they think they are. Let's just start there. <laughs> but, you know, B, uh, the more hours you put on, the more hours you're going to move on your schedule. You know, not only do you add two or three new hours, but you start moving around two or three shows to give those new programs better opportunities on your schedule. Right. You begin to, you have to spend more on marketing because you don't have as much pre-sold programming. And then at some point you realize that you can't, Love all, as Don Olmeyer would say at NBC all the time, you can't love all your children equally. So a few of those new shows never get the benefit, the marketing money directed towards them because you just can't do that. So there's a lot of reasons why show, shows like, um, you know, Call Me Cat and the one that even I was shocked about was Welcome to Flatch, 
<laughs> um, yeah, but, that got picked up. I know. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that gets into the Twilight Zone. Uh-huh. <laughs> I kind of understand. Uh, welcome to Flash. I actually, this morning, I, I said to Dan Harrison, who's the uh, head of scheduling at Fox, I said, Dan, if I were you, I would add zombies to the show next year and just make <laughs> it about a zombie attack on Flash because zombies always give you numbers. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that one. But but the, the point being is that the more you, the fewer hours you put on your schedule, the more you rely on IP as opposed to something completely new. What is IP? Uh, intellectual property. So in other words, um, uh, you, if you look at NBC's schedule, which I think for them is a pretty good schedule, uh, you have a night of Chicago shows. Now, I know, Ken, I know you hate this, but I'm just talking as a, no, I, you know, I, this as is a business person right, and a programmer. Right. Um, What's and going into their, I, their thinking. Or watch them. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a night of law and order. You have a night of Chicago. You bring Quantum Leap back, pre-sold. You bring George Lopez back, pre-sold. You know, you have The Rock. <laughs> so virtually their entire schedule, The Voice, their entire schedule is made up of pre-sold program. And that allows you sometimes to come up with a This Is Us. You know, maybe they didn't have it this year. I mean, last year they did. Uh, they had La Brea, which um, is sci-fi, and sci-fi generally will get you there to begin with. And clearly, there was enough there to keep an audience. But then they had a show called I think it was called Ordinary Joe or something that was a headache. Just I can only imagine the pitch for that, and that failed totally. But you can do that the more your schedule is made up of, of pre-sold, recognizable programming you know um, i think la brea would have been a lot better if it had been la cienega <laughs> that's well, just well, me actually, sitting I, on I the would, sidelines that's a network note i would give i would have called it sinkhole yeah. <laughs> no seriously i would have just called it sinkhole that's what it was uh-huh. and, you know that 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 um probably saves you a couple of million dollars in marketing money sinkhole <laughs> oh i get it i get it you know well, actually, when we when I was at NBC, um, our head of movies and miniseries, Lindy Dukovin, had an idea for a miniseries called Sinkhole. And I told her that if we were smart, we would premiere it on Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> Sinkhole de Mayo. <laughs> exactly. And, and yeah, it, was, it was perfect marketing message and people would know exactly when it was going to come on. <laughs> it's worth doing a show just for that. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Well, in terms of of our dramas, especially since Netflix and we'll get into those platforms, but those shows look so well produced and so lavish that broadcast networks, I guess, sort of feel obligated now because the audience is now accustomed to really well mounted our shows and those are incredibly expensive so you're kind of between a rock and a hard place yeah and i don't think money necessarily translates into ratings i think it's storytelling um and i think that's why the and episodic storytelling more so than um uh you know serialized for the broadcast networks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's those, those are the things that really help. I mean, the more you do shows that are very 
easy to go down and uh, like cops, lawyers, doctors, emergency uh, people. Uh, that's what people want to see. There's a, not enough of an audience left watching broadcast television who want to see those kinds of dramas. Um, science fiction is a little bit more of a crapshoot. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. But um, I don't think it's about money as much as it's about storytelling and feeling comfortable with a brand, which are, which are some of the things that um, and CBS does very well. They know who they are. Uh, I think NBC is doing it. Um, Fox, I think, was starting on the right path with the 911s. Um, I don't see, you know, if, if they, they get to the point where it's untenable to renew them, how hard is it to pick a city and say, here's a hospital, here's a police station, here's a fire department, now tell, tell stories and cast it with interesting people? How hard is that? I mean, Interesting, good-looking people. Yeah, well, yeah. Yes, of but, course. Well, and interesting, but it, I'm I'm not I'm not dismissing the creative, the importance of having the right people writing that stuff and everything. But how hard is it to say this is the formula? Let's do it. Let's colonize. As I like to say, colonize these shows. Uh, put a colon in somewhere in the title, and um, and build nights like that. It's not that difficult. Yeah. Well. They all seem to be doing it. Strategically. Yeah. Okay, I want to go off on a tangent for just a minute and kind of then get back into this. And my tangent is this. And again, it's Fox. So they lose Joe Buck and uh, Troy Aikman go over to ESPN. And so there was some talk of, well, how important is the announcer? Because Al Michaels was available. And they could get Al Michaels, which would have cost a ton of money, or they could just go in-house and groom their number two guy, who's young, Burkhart, and, and very good, and they decided to go that route. So you think to yourself, well, how important is it to have a marquee announcer in one of those slots? Um. Unless they suit up and play the game, I don't believe it's that important. I'm not, and again, with all due respect to Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. Yeah, exactly, um, exactly. Yeah, I mean, Kevin Burkhart is. Uh, I mean, I, you know, if, if you watch, if you have like uh, the the NFL package, you see a lot of the second and third tier announcers, and uh, there's that guy Moose jo- Moose Johnson, uh, who, Gus I, Johnson. No, the, the, he, he's a. Anyway, I think he he's paired up with Burkhart. He's really good. Oh, oh, an analyst. Okay. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I think the I think an analyst is somewhat more important than a a play by play guy. Burkhart will be fine. You won't notice a difference. Uh, I gather Brady has signed something with them, but yeah, he's three hundred and sixty-five million dollars, which yeah. is more than he's made in his playing career, and he's never done it before. But it's I, Tom Brady. Yeah, I mean, or if, if you had Peyton Manning in there, you know, you saw what ESPN did this year. I think color guy is um, a bit more important, but I don't think any of it's unless they're terrible, like you're seeing with the Apple TV baseball. Oh my God! <laughs> unless it, you, but I mean, you know, if you're Fox, you've groomed enough uh, second and third tier people who can step up 
and go in there and it, it, then it comes just just comes down to the games, you know. Right. So as, as I said, unless they're unless they're suiting up, uh, I always kind of chuck. And look, I give them credit they, if they can make that kind of money, fine. But Kevin Burkhardt would be fine. I mean, as a Mets fan, uh, I saw him evolve as the the field announcer on the team for several several years, and he's uh, he's he's very qualified and has been doing a great job with baseball for them. Yeah. But I agree with you. I don't think anybody tunes in to a football game to hear a particular announcer. I mean, I I always love when I tune in a game and there's Al Michaels and I'm a big Joe Buck fan and Jim Nance is really good too. But you're right. If it's a game I want to see and it's Mike Tirico or Kevin Burkhardt or yeah. Ian Eagle, it's yeah. like, fine. Right. You know, if the game is good, you're going to sit there and watch it. If it's bad, nobody's going to make it better by announcing it. Having said all that, the New York Mets have the best television. They do. Gary Cohen, who was with me in the minor leagues. Yeah, Keith and Ron, Keith Hernandez. I mean, uh, I just, when they're going well, which they are right now, and you have those three guys uh, calling the game, it's, it's, it's baseball heaven. It's yeah. just it's just the best. It it truly is. Yeah. Okay, now let's get back <laughs> to my <laughs> field or former field in television, comedy. You talked about mm-hmm. CBS and the CBS brand and one of the CBS brands was comedy. Mm-hmm. Well, they axed a bunch of comedies and they didn't pick up any new comedies. And what was interesting to me uh, taking a step back, they had very few pilots, and now they call them presentations, which is a cheap way of saying, well, well, we'll give you a few minutes. And so I'm wondering, well, were there very few pilots because they're not as interested in comedy? Number two, did they not pick up any of these shows because they just weren't that good? If they were good, they would have put them on. And three, of course, if you have 10 pilots, the chances of getting two or three good ones to put on the air are a whole lot better than if you have three pilots. Well, um, I, I mean, I can't speak for them and what their strategy was. I mean, I do think that they did come up with a, 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 a for whatever it means today, a hit in Ghosts. Mm-hmm. And I which should be that, encouraging to them. Yeah. But and again, I don't know what the process is anymore, given especially given the past two years with COVID. But, you know, it is possible. And I'm not saying this is the case. It is possible if they said, let's let's call a time out here and think about what worked with ghosts. And I heard I or heard or read that um, there might be doing a spinoff or a companion show to ghosts. Again, the notion that the best leader... Goblins? Into- <laughs> <laughs> uh, the best lead into a show is itself. You know, it's possible. I said, look, we... Why... Look, they're, again, they're smart over there. And, and, you know, one of the things when I was in the business, I would always do is when I saw something working on another network, I would always ask our research department to do some focus groups on those shows as opposed to our shows and just say, you know, what is it about the show that is working? And it's usually not 
um, the obvious. It's usually not, well, there's there are a bunch of ghosts <laughs> in a house. There's something else. Uh, as you know, you know, you got to really get sure. down to the next level and go, you know, I can do this again, but it doesn't have to be with ghosts. And maybe that's one of the things they did is they started looking, digging a little deeper. And they said, you know, maybe we have to rethink our comedy direction a little bit. Uh, maybe we're going in the in the wrong places to, f- to find success. I, I remember when Lost uh, came about, everybody thought it was about science fiction. You know? Oh, that's why it worked. It was about science fiction. And, and um, we did some research. And we had a show at Fox called Prison Break, which didn't look anything like Lost. Mm-hmm. But the deeper we dug into why Lost worked, the more we realized that Prison Break was what had the same elements of success that Lost had, as opposed to the science fiction shows that the other broadcast networks put on the air because they thought they figured out why Lost worked. So, so it's possible that CBS is, is going, hey, you know, maybe we have to just take a beat and, and rethink some of what we, we were doing. It's also possible the pilot, the comedy pilots didn't, weren't that great. Right. Right. Um, you know, you've got uh, Chuck Lorre, who's over at Warner Brothers, right? He's not right, part of right. And he had two of his shows canceled. Yes, exactly. So maybe, as opposed to Fox, <laughs> which which might have been a little more naive, maybe you could, the, the people at CBS said, "You know what? We see where this is going." <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, to be honest with you, I was surprised that both of those shows. Be Positive and uh, the United States of Val. I was surprised that both of those got picked up last year Well, because both of those were bad then. Tr- maybe. Again, I, I honestly, I, maybe I watched a few minutes of them, but, but it's Chuck Lorre. But maybe now they're going, well, you know, it's Chuck Lorre, but I mean, look, Dick Wolf, yeah, he's over at CBS with the FBI's, but all his other shows are, are in his home company. And, um, you know, at some point, uh, NBC might go, you know, we want those FBI shows for a third night of IP programming. So so maybe CBS said, you know, we, we maybe we're better off um, not relying on Chuck Lorre and Warner, Warner, Warner Brothers as much as we've been. Right. Especially since they'd much rather have it in-house. They'd much yes. rather have comedies from their studio. Exactly. Well, you know, it could also be, if you look at focus groups, um, they they find that, well, people find ghosts funny. Okay? It's a comedy and and it's funny. Yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe we maybe we should do some some sitcoms that 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 are funny. What about <laughs> what about that? <laughs> You're 100% right. I, I remember at NBC uh, I, I'm so bad with names now. We we did a we did a, a sitcom pilot with the guy who he's been in The Good Wife, uh, Alan Cummings. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, it was him, and it was actually um, uh, the guy from King of Queens, uh, Kevin James. Kevin James, yeah. And they were brothers. They didn't realize they were brothers. And it, it, he comes over from England, and it was hilarious. And we watched it with a lot of people in the room and everybody was laughing. 
So afterwards, uh, I would leave the room and we would talk about things. And I asked how many people would pick it up. And virtually nobody raised their hand. And I said, well, how many people thought it was funny? And everybody raised their hand. And I said, I don't understand this. This is the funniest pilot we saw and you don't want to pick it up. Uh, What was their reason? Uh, I think it was a British, one of some of it was, it was a British lead. Also, to be perfectly honest, uh, everybody has agendas, you know? So you're seeing there were comedy development people that have promised some of their friends, oh, we're going to get your shows on the air. And here this thing comes along that maybe didn't have the same number of champions, but it's, you're sitting in a room with people other than the comedy development people who are laughing. But they'll they'll talk they'll they'll talk it down. I'm being honest. But in a sense, aren't they shooting themselves in the foot yeah. by by yeah. by doing that? They don't believe. A lot of times, you know, they don't care. Uh, I guess. Yeah, developments that don't believe in something, which I've never understood. Also, which is, well, if you didn't believe in it, why did you want fight to make it? Exactly. You know? Yeah, I've seen that happen. Exactly. Where, where it's like, uh, well, we just don't think there's, there's an episode two here. Okay, well, why did we make it then? Why didn't you just right. kill it before? Right. You just you know? discovered that Thursday? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a strange business. I don't have to tell you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm looking at, at the shows that NBC picked up, and they only picked up two comedies. One was a George Lopez show. And I go, how many times has that guy been to bat? How many times have we seen that tired act? And the other is a reboot of Night Court. I enjoyed Night Court quite a bit when it was on. But I'm thinking to myself, okay, anybody who was a fan of Night Court is not in the target demo that NBC hopes to snare. And anyone who is, Night Court means nothing, you know, and and having John LaRoquette back to reprise his character means nothing. So why? (laughs) Why pick that up? Oh, God. I I wish I could tell you I knew. I've been, I've seen those situations before, sometimes it's it's the fear of not doing it and having someone else do it because it seems so obvious. Again, the, the, the idea of it's a known entity. You've got a, a, a person from the, uh, the first iteration of this back, even though, as you say, nobody cares. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love John LaRoquette, and he's very funny in the show. It would, I yeah, probably I'm, will enjoy it. Yeah, considerably. I mean, was, yeah, but it was it, that was a show that worked because of the cast, mm-hmm. the whole cast, mm-hmm. and um, it's not going to work just by having John. And first of all, if he's still in his role, wasn't he like a public mm-hmm. defender? No. Yeah, I think he's in a different role. Oh, somehow. yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, God, so many people from the original show have died. Yeah, I know. Wow. Yeah. My he's, son at, was actually born the night Marky Post gave birth on the original. Huh. We were watching to, to your son. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, we were just checking. Watching it. We were watching it while my wife was in labor. <laughs> okay, uh, just checking. Just, uh, yeah, um, no, but it was um, you know again, it's IP. I keep I keep coming back to that. It's 
the, the less work you have to do nowadays, the easier it is. And, you know, we've seen, we've seen that so many times in recent years with picking up com- the one new years was picked up again. You know, Roseanne was, I mean, we just, and, and I'm not even criticizing it. I mean, I understand that it, it makes it easier to put a schedule together with pre-sold network broadcast schedule together with pre-sold programming. But, you know, honestly, you're seeing it with the streamers also one day at a time. Yeah. Fuller house. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's part of the business, which is, you know, how can I, how can I save on marketing? How can I hope that there's an audience left or that there are parents who will tell their children about, about a show and say, Oh, when I was a kid, I watched this and, you know, and then you put some of the, 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 the stars from the first um, iteration back in it as something something else, and you said you, maybe you get two generations to watch it. It's just it's it's part of the tools of the business. Okay, there's part one of my two-part interview with Preston Beckman. We continue next week talking a lot more about comedy, also about the various platforms, streaming services, sports. On TV, is the Super Bowl someday going to be a pay-per-view event? Well, we have a lot to talk about next week. Hope you will come back and join us. So, as always, our thanks to Adam and Susie Meister, Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wolford, Bruce, and Jason Miller. Want to share something with me? Well, my email address is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. Also on Twitter, at Ken Levine. And uh, Preston Beckman is also on Twitter as The Mask Scheduler. And you can follow me on Instagram. Please do, because I like to post some of my cartoons on there from time to time. Okay, part two next week with Preston Beckman right here on Hollywood and the Fine. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.